All right, good morning, good morning, good morning. So good to have you, by the way. Welcome, welcome to New Life. This past week, we had about 115, 120 pastors from around the country here. We spent all day Tuesday, most of the day Wednesday with, with them. Uh, we poured our soul into them, and they, they represent about 150 to 200,000 members of churches. They're just a beautiful time, and I, we, we spent a lot of time on Tuesday and Wednesday, and then on Friday, I flew down to Houston and spoke to about 2,000 married couples, or that 2,000 people, 1,000 married couples. So I'm telling you that because I'm kind of preached out. So I need, and from time to <laughs> I need to admit that to you. There's time to time, Pam and I, we need to sit and receive just like you do on Sunday. And from so from, and I think it's important that we invite healthy, godly, pastoral voices from the outside. And we have a deep, deep bench of teachers and preachers right here at New Life. But a few Sundays out of the year, I'll need to receive an outside voice. And these are trusted pastors. So today we have Dr. John Justine. He does two things. It does all of it really well. He pastors Victory Church in Oklahoma City, a great church, an iconic church there in Oklahoma City. And he is also the president of the King's University in Dallas-Fort Worth. He's here with his wife, Michelle, and his two kids today. This is a friend that I know, I trust him. He has a fantastic word for us today. I've already heard it one time, and I actually am looking forward to hearing it a second time. So I want you to lean in, okay? Give him your best attention. Shout him down today, okay? Would you welcome Dr. John Justine to the platform today? Thank you, sir. I love you, man, appreciate you. Well, hello, New Life. Those of you in the room, those of you watching online, you're a part of the New Life family. It is, uh, it truly is an honor to be here with you today. Uh, I told Michelle when I woke up this morning, I said, I think I'm out of breath. What's, what is wrong with me? So I just wanna tell you guys, uh, coming from Texas and Oklahoma, uh, I, I thought, I, cause I work out, you know, sometimes. And I was like, what's wrong with me? But I just wanna affirm all of you today, okay? All of you are in great shape. You're all in great shape. Like we're singing that song a while ago, oh Jesus. I'm like, oh Jesus, <laughs> Whew. man. So what you don't know, you live at this elevation, you're working out all the time. So you eat a cheeseburger for lunch today, okay? You came to church, what, what'd you learn at church today? I don't know what that tall dude said, but he said I could eat a cheeseburger. So we're gonna eat a cheeseburger today. No, I am uh, Truly honored to be here. My wife and I, Michelle, uh, we've been married almost 21 years and she's the love of my life. She's my best friend. And then I got two amazing kids. Corey's 14, she's a freshman in high school and Jace is 11, he's in sixth grade. They're just the, the joy of our life. Uh, I, I love your church. And before I, I preach, you need to know kind of some history. So Pastor Brady has been a pastor figure in my life for almost eight years. I came into a lead pastor at church who had kind of walked through a very difficult season. And I stepped in as the lead pastor and he became a, a rock for me and, and such a stabilizing factor in my leadership. And sometimes you come to a good church and you kind of lose sight. You, you can get used to things being good and you kind of forget how good they are. And I just came in to remind you this morning, you, you, this is a good church. This is a really, really healthy church with really, really healthy leadership and really healthy pastors. Your pastor, I'm so thankful that he's called here, but you should know that he's called beyond here. He, he has an influence in the body of Christ further than many of you know. He pastors guys like me, he pastors hundreds of pastors. And so he is very kingdom minded. So I just wanna say thank you for sharing your pastor. Thank you for sharing your pastor. Can we just honor Pastor Brady and, and Pam? Love you guys so much. Um, thanks for your influence in my life. 
Today, uh, I wanna kind of piggyback and kind of continue this thought that you guys have been talking about who is God. And you're in this little season here or series where you're talking about God the Father. I wanna bring a message to you that God has been walking me through personally for a couple of years and really hit me between the eyes last year and became one of the most pivotal messages, one of the most revelatory messages that impacted the way I lead. It impacted the way I pastor. It impacted the way I'm a father. It's impacted the way that I'm a husband. Uh, and so I wanna bring this to you today and pray that it impacts you the way that it impacted me. If you have your Bibles, you can go to John chapter 14. We're gonna camp there uh, a little bit, but then you can also flip over to Romans 8. And if you can't move quick, I've got a ticking clock, so I'm gonna go on. And if you can't get there fast enough, just write it down and they'll be on the screens behind me. John chapter 14, verse 15, this is Jesus's words. And he says, if you love me, keep my commands and I will ask the father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth and the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you will know him, but for he loves, uh, he, for he lives with you and will be with you. Now, this is the part I want you to really lean into. In, in, verse, in verse 18, Jesus says these words, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So this thought of an orphan, what I wanna point out to you, this is the word that I will kind of focus in on today. And I don't think it's, a, it's by chance. I don't think Jesus just was flippantly like, well, I can't think of a better word, so orphan. I think it was a word that he used very intentionally to speak to those that were in his presence that day and those of us that are in his presence today. He wants to speak to us on those terms that he will not leave us as orphans. Romans chapter eight, verse 14. I'm gonna read this in the, in the, in the Passion Translation. Uh, there may be thoughts on the Passion Translation and while, while it may not be a great foundational text, it's great as, as, a, as a parallel text in many occasions. And I wanna use it as a parallel text in verse 14. It says, the mature child of God are those and just to pause real quick, if you go to the original context of this, this, this language in the Greek, this word those, it, it's emphatic. It means those and only those. So it says the mature children of God are those who are moved by the impulses of the Holy Spirit. And you did not receive the spirit of religious duty, leading you back into the fear of never being good enough, but you have received, catch this, the spirit of full acceptance enfolding you into the family of God. And then he says a similar word. He says, and you will never feel orphaned. For as he rises up within our spirits, join him in, in, in saying the words of a tender, affectionate, beloved father. For the Holy Spirit makes God's fatherhood real to us as he whispers into our innermost being, you are God's beloved child. Today, I wanna to talk to you on the subject of the orphan heart in all of us. I went through a season last year where God began to expose some things in my heart, some patterns of my thinking, patterns of my leading, patterns of my communication through my mouth that would leave me, leave one thinking, who's his dad? Does he have a spiritual father? And sometimes if we're not careful, we can begin to think through this lens of orphanhood. And I wanna try my best to, to reveal this to you in a, in a clear way. Um, last year, I was sitting in a leadership talk. Great guy was doing a great talk on leadership. And he just said it as a bypassing thought. It wasn't really in his notes. He just said, we're not called to lead like orphans. We shouldn't be orphan leaders. And then he just kept on going. 
But for some reason, that phrase just stuck with me. I don't know if you've ever done that before where someone says something and then they keep talking, but you don't go with them. <laughs> uh, he said that and he went on to talk about a bunch of great stuff, I'm sure, but I have no idea what he was talking about because I locked into this thought of, of an orphan heart and it led me down a path of, of really studying this topic and really diving into this topic for me. And sometimes the, the temptation as a pastor is I'm finding a word for y'all. I had to find a word for me. And so I dove into the season reading books. I came across a, a book uh, written by the name, a guy by the name of Leif, Leif Hetland, who had some really great writings. And by the way, your own pastor wrote a book on this called Sons and Daughters that you should check out. You should read this book. So I just took this deep dive. And as I did, God began to reveal some stuff in me as a son. Uh, I heard this preacher tell this joke one time about a, a, a father who went up to his five-year-old son and said, son, if I could line all the sons, all the five-year-old sons in the whole world, if I could line them up, I would walk by and look at every one of them, but I'd pick you every time. And this, he, then, he, then he says to his five-year-old son, he says, hey, if you could line up all the dads in the world, would you pick me? And his, and his son replied back and said, well, I'd have to see them all first and see what I had to work with. <laughs> I, I don't know if you've ever felt this way as a parent, but whether you're a mother or a father, sometimes I have this feeling of, am I being a good dad? And maybe you as a mom, you, you see other moms that are like rock stars and they, they have 12 kids and they drive them all and they cook their home cooked meals every day and they make their clothes by hand. I don't know, whatever. And, and you have this man, am I being the best mom I can be? And that's just part of life. We're always doing that. But I, it made me stop and think of to myself from a spiritual perspective, how am I doing as a son? If I have a heavenly father who loves me, uh, uh, just the way that I am, I don't have to earn it. I don't have to do any of those things. Am I living my life as a son? Am I really behaving? Am I processing my life? Am I, am I, am I living my life spiritually? Am I, am I living my life as a leader, as a pastor? Am I, am I behaving as a son or am I behaving as an orphan? And God just began to unpack some stuff. So I just wanna take a few minutes here and show you some of the things that the Lord really impressed upon me and yes, convicted me. And then how he brought healing through this process. The first thing I wanna talk about is just simply the orphan heart. So Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. And then later Paul's, Paul says, I do not want you to feel like orphans. I don't want you to behave as orphans. I don't want you to feel like orphans. And so this, 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 this word orphan just began to, to cause me to take this deep dive into this topic. So we all know what an orphan is. I don't need to spend too much time on that. An orphan is simply somebody who's parentless. Maybe they were abandoned, but their father and their mother are died or they've been abandoned by their parents. But I wanna go one layer deeper because if Jesus used the word orphan, I wanna go to the original text and see what the Greek word for this is. The Greek word in this text, orphan, is the Greek word aphanas, it's where we get this word orphan, and it means comfortless, those with no teacher, no guide, no guardian. An orphan, if you really think about it, an orphan is somebody who doesn't have a home. They, they don't have any place that they can call home, any place that they feel loved, any place that they feel accepted. In fact, if you're an orphan, let's say you were a literal orphan and you lived in an orphanage, there may come a day where the, the orphan director comes to you and says, hey, little Billy, uh, today there's a couple coming to meet you and you're gonna come out to meet them at 11 o'clock this morning. And so Billy, put on your best outfit and put on your best behavior. You be a good little boy. And if you're a good little boy 
And if you look the part and play the part and speak the part, maybe, just maybe, they'll accept you. Maybe they'll love you. Maybe you could actually have a home. So it puts this pressure as we feel rejected. And now if I'll shape up, if I'll get my act together, then maybe somebody will love me. Then maybe somebody will accept me. So, so please write this down if you take notes. Spiritual orphans are always looking for security, affirmation, love, acceptance, value, purpose, significance, because they have never received them from their heavenly father. And if you'll begin to look through, through this lens in your day-to-day -day life, you'll begin to see this everywhere. You'll see it in your friends, you'll see it in your kids, you'll see it in your spouse, you'll see it in your coworkers. Because we all have this thing in us, we want to be accepted. And when we feel rejected, it causes things in, in our hearts to begin to stir. And as I begin to look even at this from a biblical, biblical perspective, as I studied this, every, every story I read in the Bible would just pop off the page at me and I would say, orphan heart, orphan heart. In fact, it goes all the way back. I would, I would even go as far as to say is the devil was the first orphan. So the orphan was at home with his heavenly father. He was the worship leader in heaven. And the, the, a third of the angels were cast along with, the, along with the devil out of heaven. And he became the very first orphan. He was orphaned from his father, cast out of heaven because he wanted to be equal to his heavenly father. And I would propose to you that the devil has spent the rest of his time trying to make us feel the way he feels. He wants us to lean into this. He wants us to feel this. You'll see this in a lot of stories, Elijah. He calls down fire on the prophets of Baal, right? Jezebel speaks against him. Jezebel rejects him and he runs. And just a short time later, he crawls under a broom bush and prays that he might die. Uh, Joseph, remember Joseph's brothers? They all hated Joseph and threw him in a cistern. Remember this? The reason they were so angry against Joseph is because their father had rejected them because their father, the Bible says Joseph was his favorite and he gave him a suit of many colors. And so they felt orphaned by their father and it turned to rage towards the brother. You'll see this all through scripture. The disciples, the disciples were so insecure and they wanted to be accepted so much by Jesus that they would argue with one another with who gets to sit by Jesus in heaven. You would begin to see this all through scripture. Moses, Moses might be one of the best examples. Moses was an actual orphan. Remember his mom put him in a basket and pushed him down the, pushed him down the river. So he, he, you see this orphan heart coming out in Moses for, for a, a large part of his life, but very specifically, God came to address his orphan heart at the burning bush. At the burning bush, uh, I don't have time to go into them in detail, but, but Moses gives five objections to, 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 to the Lord's call on his life. I'll, I'll give a few of them to you. The first objection he does is in Exodus chapter three, verse 11. He says, who am I to do this? Insecurity, self-doubt. Orphans have no confidence in themselves, in confidence in themselves because they don't have a loving father. So that was his first, his first uh, objection. His second one was, who will I be representing? That sounds innocent, right? Who will I be representing? But really what that tells us is he was, he was more concerned about the Israelites' response to him than he was God's response. He wanted to know, am I going to be accepted? And whose name can I use so that they will accept me? Uh, his third objection, he says, what if they won't listen to me? Again, fear of rejection. He's afraid of being rejected. He wants to be accepted. His orphan heart is exposing itself in these moments. Uh, uh, then he finally just says, I'm, I'm incompetent. I stutter. I can't do this. 
He has no self-confidence. He has no self-reliance. He has no, he has no belief in his own ability because he fails to see that his own ability is best because he have a, has a father who's working with him. And then finally, he just says, find somebody else, find somebody else. He just, he just cannot come to grips with this. So as I begin to study the scriptures and all the different stories in the Bible, and I begin to see this orphan heart, I, I, I almost, it's almost as if God gave me a discernment into to identifying the orphan heart to where I could be, I could, I could, I could, I'm gonna I'm go one, one on you. I could go to someone's social media page and tell you right away if they had an orphan heart. They wanna be seen, they wanna be known. I gotta mention, I gotta say this, I gotta do this, I gotta perform, I gotta, I gotta do something. I gotta show the world that I am somebody. And God began to show this in me. I'm telling you, 10 to 12 times a day, the Holy Spirit, very lovingly, very kind, the way the Holy Spirit does it, the Holy Spirit would nudge me and say, hey, you're thinking like an orphan. Let me give you some examples. Um, I would be a part of a project. In fact, the project may have even been my idea. But when the project got celebrated, nobody mentioned my name, Orphan Heart. Why do I need to be noticed? Why do I need to be accepted? Is it not good enough that my heavenly father accepts me? Is it not good enough that my heavenly father sees what I do in secret? Things like this begin to, to, to poke their head. If somebody didn't pay me enough attention, I would begin to immediately think that they were rejecting me. I needed their affirmation. If I didn't get affirmation from somebody, I would almost reject them back. And the Holy Spirit would come up and say, why do you need their affirmation? Is my affirmation not good enough for you? Aren't I your heavenly father? Are you behaving like an orphan when the truth is you're a son? Can you not think like a son? And he began to expose these things in me over and over and over again. If my feelings got hurt, if, if others didn't think of me and God began to, to show these things in me and what I begin to realize, maybe it's not for you, but it was for me. Many times I didn't have a joy problem. I had an identity problem. I would try to find my joy through other people. I would try to find my joy through, through getting noticed and getting, getting accolades and getting, get, seeing something happen as something I was leading. Uh, many, times I, many times we don't have financial problems. We have identity problems. So we spend money we don't have to impress people we don't like, <laughs> right? The money problem, that's a problem, but the real problem is you don't know whose you are. You don't know who we belong to. I have a heavenly father. And if I need to drive this clunker, this 1984 Toyota Corolla the rest of my life, my father loves me. Is that not all that matters? Do I need to get the newest and the greatest and the best? Who am I trying to impress? I've only got one person to impress and he already loves me before I even can step out to impress him. So God just began to really minister to me through this and convict me. And conviction has, has become a bad word, but it's not. Conviction is a blessing. Conviction, conviction is the Holy Spirit coming alongside us to make us better. So I just came to present to you this morning that if you're breathing, <laughs> chances are you have an orphan heart. You have an orphan heart. But the good news is, is that God comes to redeem our orphan heart. He comes to correct, he comes to, 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 to prove to us, to show us who we really are. And what I wanna encourage you with, um, an orphan spirit, many times it's referred to as an orphan spirit, an orphan spirit can't be cast out. I would present to you that it can only be replaced. And I'll usually stop short. I'm not against calling it an orphan spirit. I usually call it an orphan heart and I'll tell you why. Many times we throw the word spirit at too many things. And many times when you call something a spirit, 
Basically what you're saying is that it wasn't my fault, it's somebody else's fault. It's, it's on somebody else. And we think there's some magic wand that can be waved to fix it. The orphan heart is not something that, that can just be cast out of you. It's something that must be replaced. It must be replaced and there's only one thing that can replace it. Let's go back to, to Romans chapter eight, verse 16. We read this a moment ago. It says, for the Holy Spirit, so the Holy Spirit's gonna help you do this. This is key. The Holy Spirit makes God's fatherhood real to us as he whispers into our innermost being, you are God's beloved child. The Holy Spirit is gonna come and whisper in your ear over and over and over again, multiple times a day. Every time that orphan heart creeps in, the, orphan, the, the Holy Spirit is right there to whisper in your ear to remember who, to, hey, remember who you are. You're a son, you're a daughter. So the only thing that can replace an orphan heart is the father's love. I know it's not that groundbreaking, nobody's waving hankies, no one's shouting. It's not that revelatory, but it's completely revelatory when you receive it. So you have a father who calls you son and daughter. Unfortunately, I'm, I'm, as a pastor, I feel like I can say this. I wanna confess that perhaps the church, the capital C church, particularly in America, has played, potentially played even a part in causing this to go through the body of Christ, okay? Uh, many times we make church all about you instead of making it all about Jesus. We wanna make you comfortable, okay? So, so what, we, what the church has gotten really good at is we've gotten really good at a bunch of ships, okay? I said ships with a P, okay? I just make sure. We've gotten really good at leadership. We've gotten really good at stewardship. We've gotten really good at friendship and community, but I think that the church in many ways has failed at one of the greatest ships, sonship and daughtership. And this is why I love your church. This is one of the reasons I'm so madly in love with this church because your, your, your pastor is a father. He's, my, he's one of my fathers. He's one of my spiritual fathers. He has a father's heart. And so he's not insecure. He doesn't lead that way. He's not impressed by big church. He wants to grow big people, not big churches. So he's healthy in this way. So we have to become experts at sonship. Did you know that you're a terrible leader if you can't first be a son? You can't steward God's resources well unless you know that you're a daughter of the king. All of the things that we focus on are good and they're great and they're needed, but fundamentally below it is this thing called sonship that we must become experts at. We must become uh, prolific in this way. So. Before any other role, let me, let, me, let me say it this way. Before any other role in your life, okay, you're, think about all the things you are in your head. You're a leader, you're a business owner, you're a father, you're a mother, uh, you're a grandparent, you're an uncle, you're a niece, you're a nephew, whatever the title is, think about all the things that you do. And before any of those roles that you could ever live out in the world, you are first, primarily, you are first and foremost a son or a daughter of a really, really, really good father who loves you, but not only does he love you, he loves you just as you are right now. Before you perform, before you do anything to impress him, when you get out of bed, he loves you just as much then before you went go to bed that night. Everything you accomplish in the day, God's like, yeah, my love for you didn't change. I love you the same. Nothing changes in his love for us, and this is so foundational. And many times I just think we're looking for the wrong thing. 
Uh, this past summer, uh, my family, we, took the, 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 we went down to Mexico to a, to a resort and we got off the airplane and we walk outside. And if you've ever tried to get from an airport to a resort in another country, it's an adventure. And so we walk outside and I, there are 4,000 people holding up signs with last names on them. And we're looking for Chastine and everyone's looking. And guys, I'm six, seven, like I can see. I'm looking over everybody's heads. I can see everybody's bald spot. Like I, you're not hiding bald spots when I'm around, I can see them, okay? So I, I'm looking and I'm like, not, it's not here. We sit there for an hour, we sit there forever and there is no Chastine. So we we're like, forget it. We ended up just getting like a cab and we, we go to the resort. I'm frustrated. I'm like, what in the world? They, they said that they were gonna be there. I'm probably having a little bit of an orphan heart in that moment. And, and so we get there and we get to our, our, our room and I start looking over our itinerary for some excursions we were gonna do. And at the top of the page, it says the itinerary for the Castell family. And I was, I was like, Castell? Would I join the Italian mob or something? Like what? The Castell family? And so even then I'm getting frustrated. Like they can't even spell my name right. And then it hit me. My ride to the resort was there the whole time. I'm sure there was some five foot, foot two guy holding up a sign. Castell, <laughs> Castell family. You know, he's probably just as frustrated as I was. Where are these crazy Castells? I was so focused on looking for a different name that I missed the bus. Think about it this way there was a person with a vehicle to take me to paradise. To the very place that I wanted to go, but I was looking for the wrong name. And I wonder if sometimes we are so ready to go to our promised land, the place that we want God to take us, the things we dream about, the things we pray about. But let me tell you something, many times before God does a work for you, he first wants to do a work in you. Because the stages, the places, the promotions that he's wanting to take you, he wants a son on that stage, not an orphan. So the Lord is holding up a sign in front of you, calling your name. I'm looking for sons. I'm looking for daughters. But we don't know what we're looking for. We're, we're too busy thinking like orphans. We're, through, we're too busy living, living in a world of insecurity and doubt and fear and regret to even notice and to even accept his love and leaning into this love despite our shame, despite our regrets, despite the things that we do on a daily basis. He loves us. And I know it's so simple, but it became so profound for me. It became so profound for me to lean into this thought. And I am telling you to this day, it was not a spirit to be cast out of me because if it was, I'd be good. And I'd be standing up here saying, I figured it out. You guys just follow me. Guys, 12 times a day, the Holy Spirit's like, hey, John, that's an orphan. Why are you thinking that? Why are you so upset that they didn't mention you on social media? Why are you so upset that, that, you, that you didn't get the, the accolades? What? Over and over again, if you'll, if you'll ask the Holy Spirit, this is an invitation and a warning. <laughs> If you will invite the Holy Spirit to come and speak to your innermost being about your orphan heart, he will, he will. And we put up this and we, we, we put up this radar and we know that the Lord's gonna speak to us. 
We know this, we're so busy trying to answer the question, who am I, that we fail to answer the question, who is God? And I love this series you guys are in, because if you'll, if you'll search long enough, John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave, his love prompted him to give, he gave because he loved. You don't have to earn the Father's love. I love the way that um, uh, he Leif Hetland, this author that I was telling you about, he gives these examples that I wanna show you in one of his books. Um, he gives the way orphans behave from a worldly perspective and the way sons and daughters behave from a kingdom perspective, okay? So he said it this way. He said, this is how orphans think. Orphans think this way in these terms. I must do something to have something to be something, right? We all want to be something. We all want to be someone, it's just in us, but we think we have to go about it. If, well, if I wanna be something, then I have to have something. And if I want to have something, then I have to do something. And so we're driven by do. But he says, sons and daughters flip the script. They turn the table upside down. So sons and daughters have a kingdom mindset and they say, I already am. Therefore, I already have. Therefore, I can do whatever God tells me to do. I can do anything that God tells me to do, not because I'm such a stud and I can do a lot of stuff. The only reason I can do anything is because I already have everything I need in the kingdom of God. And because I have everything I need, I'm already everything I need to be. God designed you, he crafted you, he created you. He gave you all your problems. And sometimes I pray, God, if you wanted me to have more brain cells, you should have gave them to me. But this is all the brain cells I'm working with here. So this is what we got to work with. That's how God created you. God created you this way. Let me read you this passage real quick in Galatians 4. It says this, I love the way Paul says this. The passion makes it pop in a few particular ways. It says, let me illustrate, as long as an heir is a minor, he is not really much different than a servant, although he is the master over all of them. For until the time appointed by the father, the child is under the domestic supervision of a guardian of the estate. So it is with us. So he's given the symbolism. So it is with us. When we are juveniles, we are enslaved under the hostile spirits of the world when we're living in sin. But when the time of fulfillment had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Yet all of this was done, all of this was so that we would re be redeemed and set free those held hostage to the law. And then it says these two words, so that. I really want you to lean into the, say that word, say, say so that. So he says, God says, the, the text says, God did all that, so this, so that we would receive our freedom and a full legal adoption as his children. And so that we would know, he said, he didn't do it just so we would, that he would do it, he did it so we would know. So that we would come to an understanding that we are his true children. God released, not the spirit of orphanhood, God released the spirit of sonship into our hearts, moving us to cry intimately, my father, my true father. In the, in the Greek it's Abba, Papa. Dad, verse seven, now we're no longer living in, like slaves under the law, but we enjoy being God's very own sons and daughters. And because we're his, we can access everything our father has. We already have. You don't have to do to have, you already have because of what he did. 
for we are heirs because of what God has done. If, if you don't have the right understanding of your identity, everything in your life is out of balance. And I know that's a strong statement, but I'm here to tell you, I have gone down this path. God has taught me a lesson in this journey and you can go and accomplish and do and make as much money as you want and do all the things that you think you need to do to be successful. But if you don't first understand that you don't have to do anything. Leif says in his book in one, one chapter, he says, in, in God's grade book, I've already got an A plus before I fulfilled a single homework assignment. You start with an A plus. And I, I pray that this is a revelation that the Lord would, would give to you. Or, orphans, this is a big difference. Orphans, orphans live a life for God. Sons and daughters live a life from God. Will you stand to your feet with me? I wanna pray over you. I wanna read one more passage to you before we go back into worship for just a moment. Your prayer I pray every single morning, God, today, help me to think like a son, talk like a son, pastor like a son, lead like a son, and act like a son. Pray that prayer every single day because I need God's help to do it. Uh, let me tell you something really amazing about Jesus. So Jesus utters these words. We started with it. Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. We talked about the word orphan. Let me, let me highlight another word. He says, I will not leave you. Now the, this word leave in the Greek means to depart or to abandon. Now, why is it so important that Jesus understands what it feels like to be abandoned? The Bible says that Jesus lived on this earth was fully human, fully God. He experienced every temptation that we have. Even, I wanna to present to you in just a minute, even experiencing orphanhood. So go with me to Matthew, Matthew chapter 27, verse 46. It says that about three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani, which means my God, my God. Dad, Papa, Father, why have you abandoned me? Why did you leave me on this cross like an orphan? For, for just a split second, for just a split second, because of our sin, because of us, because of his love for us, God turned his back on his only son just for a moment because of the weight of sin that was resting on his son. And Jesus is feeling the full brunt of this. And he's screaming out the way you and I feel every day. God, why have you abandoned me? He knows what this feels like. And so he's the perfect answer. He was the perfect mediator that came for us so that we never have, Jesus wasn't lying. He said, I will never leave you as orphans because I'm gonna go be a mediator for you. And now every time the father looks at you, he doesn't look at your sin. He doesn't look at your shame. He doesn't look at your guilt. He looks at you through the lens of Jesus. He looks at, he looks at you. That's why we can receive the love. It's because of Jesus. It's because of the price that he paid. Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you for your love, love that we don't deserve. God, forgive us for thinking like orphans and behaving like orphans. Today we're reminded and we step back home. We're just like the prodigal son, God. We come running back home, coming back to the father and there the father is arms open wide, ready to embrace us. So today is the day, God, we come running back to you 
Whether we've been living for you for a day or for 80 years, God, we come running back home to our loving Father and we operate from this position as sons and daughters. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your presence, Lord. In Jesus' name, let's worship for just a moment. and difficult part of the service, opening the lid, should have given you a head start. I was thinking during the, we're singing this song about the presence of the Lord. Pam and I are going to dinner tomorrow night with a couple that we just met, they attend New Life. And I knew right away when I met them, we're gonna be friends with them. But you know what requires is there's a requirement for friendship. If I'm going to be friends with them, I have to spend time with them. I get to know them. Now I want you to think about what we do almost every Sunday at New Life Church. Jesus has a meal with us. And it's not a religious duty, it's an opportunity for us to know him. He wants to spend time with you all the time. In fact, every time you come into the presence of the Lord, he wants to have a meal with you. He wants to get to know you. He wants to invest his time in you so he can know you like a son and a daughter, would be known by a father. So I want you to take the bread, and I like to break it, to snap it in half, to remind me of the broken body of Jesus. And I want you to hold the bread up, and I want you to remember this prayer on the night that he was betrayed, on the night that he knew everything was going to go horribly wrong, he gave thanks. So as you're holding that bread up, can you think back on the previous week that you just walked through of how many things went wrong 
And then I want you to say, but Lord, thank you that you were present with me every second of every day. And can we thank the Lord for his bodily, physical presence in our lives, that he is near us. And as you give the Lord thanks for that, would you take the bread with me? Now lift up the cup. This cup, Jesus took a cup from the middle of the table. He drank from it first and he passed it to each of his disciples. And he said to them, every time you come together, every time we have this meal together in the future, when you take the cup, I want you to remind yourself that you are forgiven. That I've already made up my mind to forgive you of the sins of yesterday, the sins of today, and the sins of tomorrow. So today, as you thank the Lord for the forgiveness of sins in your life and for his abounding grace, this should be, this is where you should erupt with joy, quite honestly. This is the best news I can tell you today, that Jesus has made up his mind to forgive us. And if you believe that, and if you receive that, would you take the cup with me? Come on, let's sing this song again. Let's sing this worship together. dangerous place up here. You get hit by microphones and everything else. I don't know if you know that, but Micah Massey wrote this song, what, 10 years ago? 10 years ago. And, I, and he would never tell you because he's a very humble guy, but it, that song actually won a Grammy award. And uh, I don't know if you know that. Kind of, that's kind of a big deal. And uh, so I'm so glad you came today. I'm gonna invite our altar team down. Some of you need to be prayed for today. He used it for prayer, for healing. And I want to say, if you're a pastor, one of the leaders at our church, would you come and be ready to pray? We had so many people come forward and uh, for prayer at the end of the nine o'clock. And I want to have people down today ready to pray. Another thing I'm going to do is I wrote a book 10 years ago. It didn't win any awards, but, <laughs> but I liked it. It's called Sons and Daughters, Spiritual Orphans, Finding a Way Home. So if today's message resonated with you and spoke to you, I want to give it away, actually. There's like, a, I don't know, several hundred copies out there, and they're free. So take one. If, you, if, if this book would help you, I want to give it to you, all right? Just go take it, take it home, read it, and then give it to somebody else that you think it might help. Hey, can we thank Pastor John for that message? Thank you, Pastor John. So good. So, so good. 
I will be back preaching next Sunday, and uh, I hope you join. I hope you come to one of the prayer meetings this week, Monday through Thursday at the World Prayer Center. Come be a part of those gatherings. I want to pray for you right now as you go out. Father, we go out now as sons and daughters. We go out now believing that you're for us and not against us, that you're with us, that you've never abandoned us. So Lord, today we receive the goodness and the grace of the Lord. Let us go out today as witnesses, as ambassadors of this goodness and grace. And we pray it in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And everybody said, amen. 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 Thank you for coming. If you need prayer, come right now. Let us pray for you. Have a great Sunday.